This is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. I'm Chris Fitch. Now, in discussions about consumer vulnerability, you don't often hear much about chronic pain. It doesn't really come up as often as topics like dementia or hearing loss. The names of pain charities probably aren't as familiar to many of us as those of organisations like the Samaritans or Shelter. And I'm sure a few of us would even admit that we're not quite sure, beyond it being painful, how the 28 million UK adults with chronic pain are actually affected by it. But today that changes on Vulnerability Matters. That's because in this episode, we're joined by the consumer rights advocate, LinkedIn supernova and TV's go-to energy specialist, Dr. Elizabeth Blakelock, to learn more about chronic pain and Elizabeth's personal experience of it. Now, I've known Elizabeth for years, and I like to think I know her quite well, including her lifelong struggle with a very difficult addiction to knickknacks, the extruded spicy corn snack, rather than those dainty china ornaments your nan might collect. But despite all of this, I'm sheepish to admit that prior to this podcast, I'd never really spoken in depth to Elizabeth about her experience of chronic pain. So in a first conversation for Elizabeth and myself, and maybe for you too, we're talking today about what exactly is chronic pain, what makes it chronic rather than just painful, and what might this mean for the way firms deliver products and services to people living with it. So hello, Dr. Elizabeth Blakelock. How, how is today treating you? Thank you very much for having me. Yep, I, I'd say I was probably having a, a middling pain day today and we're, and we're recording um, before before too much has had to be done. So thank you very much for that. Um, so I would say, yeah, a, a reasonable day so far. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about your life at the moment, what you're up to. So I spend most of my time working with charities who are looking to drive up standards in essential services by helping firms understand what their customers are experiencing, uh, predominantly with citizen advice to make sure that firms in essential services, particularly energy firms, really understand what their customers are going through in this cost of living crisis. And of course, firms are always relying on their regulators to make sure that they do what they can to support consumers who are in vulnerable situations. So I also spend a lot of time with our our energy regulator trying to think about what rules need to be on that rule book to make sure that people really are getting the best from the firms that, that they need support from. So let, 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 let's let's start right at the beginning. What does chronic pain mean to you? Well, what makes chronic pain chronic is, is simply that, that it doesn't go away, that it is a, a long-standing experience. So most of us, as we go through our lives, will experience acute pain. So you might break your arm or, or have a bad fall, and it'll take you weeks or, or in some cases months to recover. But in that time, the pain will start relatively high, And if you follow the advice of your doctor, over time you'll heal and the pain will go down and down and down and then fade. And at what, which point your your physical um, body, whatever it was, maybe the bone was broken, that's healed and it's no longer causing you any pain. So that's acute pain. Chronic pain is is very different. So chronic pain may have a particular incident that that um, like like a break of a bone or like an injury, um, but ultimately that 
that injury can heal, but the pain goes on. There's there's been a um, an issue that's either so long standing with with your your physical body, or the the nerves themselves um, continue to fire as if there's an injury, even when the the physical instant has has healed. So for me, I've I've been in chronic pain for for nine years now, um, and generally what that looks and feels like to me is um, that there's a consistent level of of relatively low level pain. And, and when I wake up in the morning, uh, it's reasonably background pain most days, um, the kind of pain that you might associate with um, with, a, with a fall or, or, a, or a twist or something that's relatively short term. But unfortunately, over the course of the day, as I move, I've, I've got, um, I've damaged uh, the back the bottom of my back, um, the lower back there and, and pelvis. As I move through the day, um, that puts more and more pressure on that area of my body and then the pain increases over the course of the day. And the more active I am, the more physically active I am, um, the, the shorter my practical day becomes. And of course, I'm incredibly lucky to be to be living in England with the wonderful support of the NHS. So I've got a lot of pain medication. But unfortunately, a lot of it I do find is it really does make my brain very foggy. So for example, um, if I'd taken my painkillers, which would help me sleep, I wouldn't be able to drive a car. I certainly wouldn't be able to string a sentence together for a podcast. Um, and so therefore, I really need to be quite careful about when I use those. I, generally, I want to do that at the end of the working day. I'm a solo parent, so I want to make sure that my son's safely in bed. And I want to make sure that everything that has to have been done that day is done before I take those big painkillers. So the, the chronic element uh, is about the ever-present uh, pain. Yeah. I mean, that pain can be debilitating or extremely difficult to uh, to live with for some people, but the chronic element isn't the uh, the level of pain necessarily, necessarily the severity. It's the ever-present nature of it. That's right. And I think you're really, uh, it's really important to pick up on your point there around severity. You know, you might be able to, uh, you might know someone who is in, in your um in your team at work or someone might make a disclosure of chronic pain that you're talking to um, if they're a customer of yours. But you don't ultimately really know what that means in terms of what that person needs unless they tell you. And chronic pain generally is an invisible disability. Um, so because my um, problems are with the lower back and pelvis, I, I do use a walking stick. Um, but for the vast majority of people who suffer from chronic pain, it's an invisible disability and therefore it's um, it can be a real challenge for those people to get the, the empathy and the support from people as they move through the world. For example, when traveling or when trying to use um, use facilities which are specifically for disabled people, um, if there's not that verbal cue, uh, it's that much more difficult to get to get that support, even if you are in very significant and severe pain. Mm. Well, when did you first experience chronic pain? When did you realize, ah, this isn't just pain? acute pain or pain that's going to weigh this is actually chronic what, what was what was happening um so it for me it was actually um it, i had a very high risk pregnancy um which came with some some pelvis and lower back problems um and that ultimately um was was the um was the, the the first point at which I was in this this very long process of being diagnosed with chronic pain. Um, so for me, it's really only been um, the the last few years where I've had the the capacity really to understand the more fully what it means for for me in my life in the long term, because. 
for my, when I was actually diagnosed with chronic pain, I had a newborn baby. There was just there was no space for thinking about anything apart from would I be getting the pain relief that I needed? And I have to say, you know, trying to manage um, the the very basics of looking after a newborn baby with chronic pain was was absolutely one of the most difficult things I've had to do. You know, having to experience very extreme pain, lifting my baby. Mm. I mean, I can remember times where I'd managed to get back to work. I'd managed to get um, a nursery space for my son. And I would twist to put him in the car seat. um, And I'd have to just sit in the car for about five minutes until my head was clear enough to drive because of the the shoots of pain were so extreme um, Mm. that I actually had flashing lights in my eyes. You know, the very physical um, needs that that you have to 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 go through when you're looking after that that tiny baby, and then trying to you know help them learn how to walk, and how to um, you know support themselves. If if you struggle mm. to bend over, those tasks are just incredibly and very intensely painful. Mm. In a way that you don't really have to think about all the time. If you mm. if you haven't experienced disability, if you haven't experienced mobility challenges, you know it's completely natural things that 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 people do without thinking, and mm. um, suddenly become that much more complex when you're experiencing chronic pain. I think those everyday examples really make it easier to relate to this. Um, everyone has experienced, um, you know picking up a child or bending over, Do you know, when toddlers walk and you have to put your fingers out and they hold on to them and you're, you're bent over double. I was listening to someone talking about um, not being able to use a knife and fork. It was a, it was a podcast I was listening to about chronic pain called airing pain um, and how um, it, it would affect them going out to dinner with friends. It could, does it come and go the pain? It, we say it's ever present. You seem to be suggesting that as the day went on, as you was more pressure on your, your lower, uh, lower back and pelvis that actually the pain becomes greater over time yeah so for me it's ever present but of course mm. individuals have very different experiences of chronic pain and different levels that they experience and also different abilities to to to, to take and to cope with pain relief so i've made a very active decision to manage my pain relief in a way which means that i can work and mm. i can look after my son and i'm incredibly fortunate to be able to do both of those things independently others um who who would make other choices would would choose to to take the pain medication to reduce or even remove pain but unfortunately then might not be able to to take part in the workplace or, or be as active as they might like in terms of of of, of the people that that they love and, and being part of their lives can you tell us a bit more about that and how it um, affects uh some of your everyday interactions with essential service providers your, your bank your energy company your water company how does that affect you The way that it impacts me as a customer is that I find it very difficult to follow the um, a timeline that's very strict because I could be having a bad day on any day. I could be having a good day and I'm perfectly able to um, contact an essential service provider or to write a letter or to write an email to understand the information that they've sent me. But if that bit of information comes to me on a bad day or at the end of a day, then I simply will not have the bandwidth to engage with complex information and I certainly won't have the bandwidth to make an important decision. So setting out a deadline, particularly an artificial deadline for making a decision, particularly if it's based on some complex information, is very difficult for me. So for example, um, if I 
um, in in the bad old days of insurance premiums and insurance um, communications not coming through in a very timely manner, um, that that was very difficult for me because it would generally be something that I would maybe realise myself or have received an email a few days before the end of, of an insurance product was coming to an end. And really, I needed uh, I needed a good couple of days to do the comparison and then make a choice. So if the service provider is setting the timeline, I'm having a bad experience. It's really as simple as that. So you need a lot more flexibility and a lot more anticipation on behalf of your uh your service providers about the uh, the people who might be out there with similar situations, similar challenges. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, is it because it's an invisible um condition? Um, do you find have you encountered uh, difficulties either in uh, on the essential service side or with people in your own life in terms of engaging with it? Um, either not fully believing you or really struggling to grasp what, what's going on uh, beyond kind of what you're telling them? I think generally it's not particularly well understood or even there's not a lot of awareness about chronic pain and certainly not that it you know, impacts up to a third of people. I mean, that means that generally if you're in a large-ish organisation, there will be colleagues of yours who experience chronic pain and any um, organization of any size, you will have customers who are experiencing chronic pain. I think for me, it's less that anyone's ever um, insisted that I'm well when I'm not. And it's more that people seem to sometimes just think I'm being difficult. Mm. So particularly um, an expectation of travel, you know, travel is in as an experience, incredibly painful for me. And then when I finally got to the place I'm going, I've just got less capacity to cope mm-hmm. with what's going on. So for example, um, uh, if I have to, it's very rare now, but I do sometimes go to my bank branch. Um, I, um, you, it's very rare now that there will be anywhere to sit comfortably. Um, it's quite rare that you can book a time. Um, the last time that I had to go to my bank, I wasn't able to, uh, it wasn't a, a process where I was, I could book an appointment. There mm. weren't any chairs available and I certainly wasn't offered the, um, the, the room, which is available for people who are, um, who are making appointments and therefore could have made myself a bit more comfortable. I'd also just like to say that even if you have the most perfectly accessible venue that someone is traveling to, you know, if that's your branch or if it's an event that you're having, maybe you're engaging with a group of people who experience chronic pain, you want to have a focus group, but you've made it an in-person focus group for some unknown reason to me. That person's got to travel through a world which is just not built for people with disabilities. It's not built for you to be able um, to to move through it smoothly. Um, and we know that there's been this uh, this very unfortunate push to make um, town centres and our towns and and cities. Uh, you know the the push to make sure that that people don't rough sleep outside and and shortages of funds for facilities for the public i mean there's just not a lot of benches to stop mm. and sit down and have a rest before you go to your bank branch or whatever it is so we're, we're in a world which is not designed for people with chronic pain it's not designed in an inclusive way for people with disabilities so if you're expecting someone to travel even if you have the world leading inclusive design for your building interior you cannot control the the experiences that people have as they've moved through the world to get there in the first place. When you tell firms, uh, well, actually, it's a, do you tell firms uh, about 
your chronic pain and your situation? What's your experience of disclosure? So in the energy sector, we have the priority service register, which provides the opportunity for people to talk about um, their, their support needs, particularly if you struggle to reach your meter. So I have a meter which I would need a ladder to reach. Uh, I certainly cannot be climbing up a ladder. Um, so I've, I've made that disclosure. Um, but I have to admit the knowledge that the priority service register existed and that I could tell them that I couldn't access the meter. That's from the fact that I'm a huge energy geek and have been working in this sector for 20 years, there was no bit of communication from my energy supplier, which mm. to told me that that was a service and told me that it was relevant for me to disclose that. Um, and I haven't been, I've never really thought it relevant to tell mm. any of my other service providers. And I've certainly not been contacted to ask for any of that detail. So on the priority service register, it's um, you've interpreted it to tick the box around um, accessible meter. Um, access but there is a, there isn't a box marked chronic pain or uh, related to any of your conditions have you have you explained it at all uh, to the service themselves the energy service rather than just the PSR no not yet I just don't uh, there's no um no information that I've ever received from any service provider that it's relevant. Mm. Um, I think if I had been invited to an appointment, um, then I would have, um, in last time I went to my bank, I would have then made disclosure in terms of um, checking that the the access was available um, and to, to make sure that there weren't a lot of steps, which is part of my kind of normal routine. But again, that's me knowing that I mm. really struggle with steps and therefore I'm going to tell someone or ask them if there are any steps at the venue rather than having any experiences where someone's actually asked me to make a disclosure or just to ask, do you have any access barriers in the way that we might if we were um, kind of convening a group of people in person for some disability advocacy event, mm. for example, where you have much more proactive um, questions around, are there things that we can put in place to make this easier for you? So you, you, you've talked about communications, uh, about the brain fog, about um, needing to be able to set your own timeline. You've talked about uh, some of the physical environment. Uh, if you're going to branch or maybe to a, uh, an event or a meeting, you talked about maybe people visiting you at home. Are there any? Is there anything else that essential service firms should be thinking about doing? Uh, how can they better understand uh, the needs of people with chronic pain? I cannot end the podcast without plugging inclusive design principles. So much of my experience as someone with chronic pain is the, the, what I actually need is actually similar across a vast array of disabilities. It's about making sure that people are trained to have that second thought of, oh, maybe this person isn't being difficult. Maybe I need to adapt my behavior in a way that is supportive. And using those tools that come as part of the inclusive design tool set to really get to know your customers, to understand the challenges they face, and then to work with them to co-design those ways that those barriers can be overcome. It needs an enormous amount of intentionality to make sure that people's needs are being met, whether it's someone who is experiencing chronic pain or someone with another disability. And it really does pay dividends in terms of not only the experiences of your customers, but also in terms of the experiences of your colleagues. If you are increasing understanding of something like chronic pain which impacts so many people you will have colleagues who are experiencing um, chronic pain if you are increasing the awareness within 
your workforce of the challenges faced by people with chronic pain. If you're designing products inclusively for those customers, not only will you be doing a better job for your customers, you're also then going to have departments full of people who are ready to support their colleagues who are experiencing chronic pain. And I don't think you can underestimate the impact that that can have. Fantastic. Elizabeth, thank you very much indeed. And that was the fabulous Dr. Elizabeth Blakelock. I hope that gave you a new insight and perspective. In particular, it made me realise two things. First, just how much more thought we all need to give to colleagues as well as customers when it comes to vulnerability. And second, that, probably on reflection, I really shouldn't have paid Elizabeth in knickknacks. Okay, well, what can you do about that? Anyway, that's about it for today. But before you go, one last task for you all. Be sure to drop me a line on LinkedIn to let me know your thoughts on today's episode on chronic pain. And if you do, I'll put you in the draw to win one of our frankly amazing slash future lawsuit wrapped in porcelain vulnerability matters mugs. As ever, I'm at Chris Fitch on LinkedIn. Now, be careful. I'm sadly the one with vulnerability lead after his name rather than the Chris Fitch who works at the Pickle Robot Factory and who, to quote his LinkedIn profile, once built a robotic shark that attacked diners at a fancy restaurant. Or you can get me, the real Chris Fitch, at Chris underscore Fitch on Twitter. So congratulations again for joining us. Let's keep the streak going together. Make sure you look up your LinkedIn doppelganger. And until next time, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you for remembering that vulnerability matters.